So today we're starting a new sermon series for uh, February that's called uh, Relationships and Why They Matter. And we're basing this series on Paul's short letter to the Colossians. And so I encourage you to read Colossians as we go throughout uh, the next few uh, weeks. But, but to talk about relationships, first I think we need to laugh a little bit and get in the mood to talk about this, okay? So uh, accept this in the spirit in which it's given. Here's a couple of quick stories. An older man went to the supermarket with his wife, but they got separated. They didn't have their phones with them. So he approached a very beautiful woman and he walked up and he said, excuse me, ma'am, um, I seem to have lost my wife here in the supermarket. Can you talk to me for a couple of minutes? And the woman looked at him and said, why? And the man said, well, because you see, every time I talk to a beautiful woman, my wife just appears out of nowhere. Jill tells her husband, Jack, that young couple that just moved in next door seems like such a loving family. Every morning when he leaves the house, he kisses her goodbye. And every evening when he comes home, he brings her a dozen roses. Now, why can't you do that? And Jack says, well, gosh, um, that'd be kind of weird, sweetie. I, I hardly even know that girl. <laughs> One more. A woman sped home. She screeched into the driveway. She ran into the house. She slammed the door and she shouted excitedly, honey, pack your bags. We won or I won the lottery. And the husband said, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. What should I pack? Beach stuff? Mountain stuff? Where, where are we going? And the wife said, it doesn't matter. Just get out of here. <laughs> All right, now you're ready to talk about relationships this morning? A little more relaxed. Um, I want to begin this series with just a couple of um, statements that I want to use as kind of the jumping off point. The first one is this. Life is about relationships because we are social beings. God has created us to be in relationship with each other. And when we are not in relationship, we feel incomplete. We can't live in total isolation. We need each other. The second statement is relationships will bring incredible joy and happiness when they are going well, and they can also bring us great pain, hurt, and misery when they are not going well. That's a timeless truth, and we have all probably experienced both. Third statement, relationships take effort. They are not automatic, and they cannot be put on cruise control. Uh, people who put their marriages on cruise control end up with problems. People who don't tend to their children find out very quickly that their children will misbehave. Fourth statement, just about any problem in our society can be traced back to the breakdown of the family. This is a major challenge for our age. Many people do not grow up in a loving and supporting family. And then the final statement that I wanna share with you is a quote by John Maxwell, who said, you are successful in life when the people who know you the best and love you the deepest respect you the most. In other words, what good does it do to have everybody think that you are the greatest if your family does not feel the same way? Paul's letter to the Colossians is very short. I want you to read it. It was written around 60, 62 AD. Paul was in prison. And like many of his other letters, he was addressing specific issues. In this case, it was heresy, false teaching, Jewish legalism, Gnosticism, 
and other issues that are taking place in Colossae. But in this letter, Paul is emphasizing the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and how faith in Christ should influence every single aspect of our lives, including our relationships. And he actually talks about how faith should be evident in the family, husbands and wives and children. And a few verses later, you'll hear more about that next week. So many people think that they can be Christian, but that only impacts certain parts of their lives. But Paul is saying, no, it affects every aspect of our lives, our marriages, our families, our friendships, our work. Jesus wants it all, and you don't get a pass. And this is what he writes. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I want you to do something this morning. I want you to take out your bulletin or a piece of paper, or if you're really smart and you can remember it, put it in your head. But I want you to make three columns. And on the first column, the left column, I want you to write down the names of your immediate family, your spouse, your children, then in the middle column, the second column, I want you to, to write down the names of your extended family and your closest friends, the people that you would call your very close friends. And then in the third column, I want you to write down the names of friends or work colleagues that you spend a lot of time with on a regular basis. Now I want you to go down those lists and I want you to give each of those relationships a grade, A through F. How are you doing? Based on the quality of that relationship right now, how are you doing? And then I want you to ask yourself, in these relationships, am I showing compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience? Draw that down and think about that this week. Jesus said that we we're called to love God and then love each other in that order. But before we can love each other, we first have to love God. In other words, healthy relationships, healthy marriages are first based on faith and a relationship with God, and then we can relate to each other. Um, Andy Stanley, somebody that I, uh, I've enjoyed watching his sermons over the years. He's very smart. He's a pastor in Atlanta. Um, and, and Andy's always done some really good series on relationship and, and marriage. And so I've always shared that with couples that I've, that I've counseled. But one of the things that, that he says is we all can fall in love. Everybody has the ability to fall in love. Um, it, it, it can happen fast. But not everybody has the ability and the energy to stay and grow in love. Staying in love is a challenge. He, he says... He says, when we meet somebody, we start dating, and he says, uh, or courting them, whatever, we have this big box of desires and dreams and wishes that we bring into the relationship with us. You know, ideas about the way life is going to be, um, the, the way we're going to be treated, 
the way that, you know, one day we're going to live in a certain type of house and drive a certain car and, and we desire to have a certain number of kids and, 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 and we, we're going to do certain chores or not do certain chores around the house. We, we want a certain schedule in our marriage. We, we have a set amount of time to ourselves. We want to be loved. We want to be admired, respected, supported, and all these other things. So we have this picture, right, in our mind of what life is going to be like one day when we get married or find that perfect person. And so then what he says, and I'm giving him credit for this, he says, we get married and we march down the aisle and we say those vows for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And we automatically and immediately turn those desires, those wishes and dreams into expectations. And then if things don't happen the way that we expect them to happen, the way we had planned on them happening, we get very disappointed. And so what he says is, the problem in many marriages is the focus on I and me. I want this, I want that. I want things to be this way. Cater to my wants and my needs. And if you end up with two people in a marriage or in a relationship that are all about I and me, that leads to problems. Because marriage is a team sport. It has to be. It doesn't work if one person is always giving and the other person is always taking. You know, I've always said that marriage is a big step towards unselfishness and then you bring children into the world and that's a giant leap towards unselfishness. But marriages and families that are focused on I and me just don't work. Gary Thomas once said this, he said, I have a theory. Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies an unwillingness to admit our self-centeredness. Couples do not fall out of love so much as they are unwilling to acknowledge that they have shortcomings as a spouse. So what that means is we have to deal with our own selfishness, our own character flaws, and we all have them. And anybody who pretends that they don't have them is not telling the truth. Now, I do a lot of weddings every year. When I first came to Woodmont, I was doing a lot of weddings uh, every year. But now to, to get married at Woodmont, you have to be a member of our church and you have to go to premarital counseling. But, but when I meet with the couples that I'm going to marry, I always ask them a few questions. I find out about their relationship. How'd you meet? Tell me about how you came together, why you think this is a good idea that you spend the rest of your lives together. And then the first question that I ask them is I say, what is it? that makes or breaks marriage. Meaning if it's done well, you'll have a long, happy, fulfilled marriage. And if it's not done well, your marriage can, can have problems. And, and I always give them a clue. I say many of the words that I'm looking for begin with a letter C. Not all of them, many of them. And so we talk about a focus on Christ and communication and commitment and compromise and compatibility and companionship and cooperation and compassion and common interests. And, and there's always some really good conversation around this topic. What is it that makes or breaks marriage? Now, wouldn't it be interesting to ask couples who've been married 10 years or 20 years or 30 years the same question that you ask them going into their marriage? With your experience now, what is it that makes or breaks marriage? But we also talk about what I call the five big topics. And for me, this is what they are. Faith, family, friends, career and location, and money. Faith matters because marriage has been instituted by God and blessed by Christ. 
And when two people decide to get married, faith should be at the center of it. Um, I'm always amazed at how many people want to have their wedding at a church. They want the minister to do it, and they want scripture read and the Lord's Prayer included, and maybe they have communion. But then when they get married, they don't invite God and faith into the marriage. It doesn't make sense. Faith and spiritual growth have to be a big part of any healthy marriage. We make our vows before God. Then we talk about family. And I get them to tell me about their family of origin. Are their parents still together? What did their parents do well that they like to emulate? What did their parents not do well that they want to uh, do differently? Um, if, if, if there's certain things in their extended family that's going to present problems in the marriage, we need to talk about that. If their mom or dad is still their soulmate, we need to talk about that. Um, and, and then we talk about children. Do you want to have children? And how long do you want to wait before you start trying to have children? What's life going to look like once you have children? How many children do you want to have? Then friendship. Do you have friends, guy friends, girlfriends, couple friends that support you in your marriage? Because the company we keep is really, really important and we, we need supportive communities as we grow in our marriage. And we talk about career and location. Are you happy in Nashville? Are you happy as a lawyer? Are you happy as a banker? Do you want to do this the rest of your lives? And then we finally come to the, the number one topic that leads to problems in marriage and that is money. And research has shown that money is the number one factor that leads to problems because it brings all of this stuff together. It has to do with expectations. It has to do with lifestyle, saving, spending, giving back. If couples are not on the same page when it comes to money, then that's going to lead to problems down the road, and I see it all the time. And sometimes money becomes a substitute for an authentic, healthy relationship. Money does not equal quality time and love. It, 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 it's not a substitute. But couples have to communicate about money, their attitudes, their expectations, because like Stanley says, it's really easy to let desires turn into expectations, and then we get disappointed very quickly when life doesn't pan out the way that we thought it would. And one of the biggest mistakes that couples make is when they, when they bring children into the world, and what an amazing gift that is, and they quit making each other a priority, and everything is about the kids. And I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen go sideways because they quit making their relationship a priority and they're all about the kids and the kids' schedules and the games and the travel, whatever, and it's all about the kids. But you have to keep your marriage, your relationship at the forefront. What I'd like to do today is leave you with what I think are kind of five characteristics or areas that will help you have a a, a a healthy relationship. Whether you're married, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're not, I think you'll find these to be helpful and, and interesting and we'll press on next week. But the first one is this. To have a healthy marriage, to have a healthy relationship, you have to have honesty and trust. And if you tell the truth, then you got nothing to worry about. Remember, trust is built over time. It's the currency of relationships. Trust takes a long time to build up, but only a short time to tear down. Without trust, you don't have anything left. Accepting responsibility for your actions, admitting when you are wrong, communicating openly and honestly and keeping your word, apologizing when you screw up, all of this is very important. And everybody wants to know in life, who has my back? Can I trust you? The second area is respect and mutual support, which includes being attentive to each other's needs. 
You know, everybody has unique gifts and qualities. You bring those into your marriage, but everybody has shortcomings and character flaws. And so we have to find ways to respect and support our spouses and our significant others, which means accepting them for who they are and not feeling like we have to change them. You remember that adage that said that um, women marry men to change them, men marry women hoping they'll never change? You ever heard that before? Think about it. Attentive listening is very important. Men are not very good at this, by the way. I'm reminded of that often. Um, What we need to understand, guys, is that sometimes I think they just want to talk. They don't want it fixed. (laughs) They just want to talk. We want to fix it. They just want to talk. Do you care enough to talk about it? Fixing it is secondary, right? So we're like, tell me the problem. I'll solve it. Solve problems all day long. No, we just want to talk. Third category, negotiation and fairness. In any relationship, you know, conflict will come up. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. But the way that we handle conflict is what matters. We have to work hard to find solutions that are uh, uh, fair and, and, and where everybody is involved and say, yeah, that was fair. We, we, we compromised. We don't always have to agree in order to respect the other person's opinion. There is no issue or problem that is more important than the relationship itself. In fact, years ago, we had a counselor that was working on our campus, and he always said something that stuck with me. He said, you can either be right or you can be in relationship. It's your choice. The fourth category or trait is non-threatening behavior. And another way to say this is just low levels of drama. Um, The Bible deals with the subject of anger. Angry outbursts can ruin a relationship. It's important to talk and act so that the other person feels safe and comfortable. When threats are made and emotions run high, a lot of damage can be done. Being calm is always a good thing. And then the fifth one is intimacy and love. And intimacy is different from relationship to relationship, but there's nothing worse than being in a marriage or a relationship and still feeling like you're all alone. And yet I see that often. There are many people who feel like that every day. They're in a marriage, but they feel like they're all alone. And and I talk to people all the time who feel like they're alone in their marriage. They feel like their spouse doesn't care. Their spouse doesn't pay attention to them. Paul said, love is patient, love is kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And remember, love is a verb, not just a noun. It's something we do, not just something that we have. So let me come back to Colossians to close. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint... Forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I hope you'll take the list that I asked you to make, and you'll look at the names on that list, and you'll think, what am I doing to invest in those relationships and to make sure that they are a priority and that they are healthy? Amen.